Hey guys, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be base camped today. We're going to do the whole chapter. It's going to be wonderful. We've been in this series going through the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. If you open dead center, you're going to be somewhere around Isaiah. Go left. You'll hit Psalms. Keep going left through Job, through Esther, and you'll finally get to Nehemiah. All right? So it's in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 6. Awesome. Well, hey guys, I'm so glad that you're here. It's been a wonderful week. Uh, are there any students in the room who are here for Summit? Raise your hand. Wow. How late did you guys stay up? One. I love how Carson is so tired he can't yell. He just held up a finger. Just one. 1 a.m. All right, that's all you need to know. I love it, man. I love, I love students. I love the kids downstairs. And I love all people who love them, who care about them, want to pour into them, who want to see them uh, flourish in their faith and grow to know Jesus. It's not an easy task, but it's a wonderful one, especially with middle school kids. I love middle schoolers. Anybody? <laughs> oh, man. That's probably the most honest moment we're going to have all morning. That's great. Well, hey, uh, let me pray for us as we just go into this time uh, and, and dive into a really, really important passage, but one that I have just really... I've been most excited, teaching, uh, most excited about teaching this from before we even started, but I tell you what, it's the one that stumped me the most, it's the hardest to really understand, and it's the turn in the middle of the book. It's one of the most important chapters in this whole thing, um, and I think it's going to be really important for you guys today. So uh, it's God's job to help you see that. It's my job to just run my mouth the whole time and be a part of that. So let's pray. Jesus, um, I want to thank you. And continue our act of worship and go from singing to just praying thanks. Thank you. That when I was an enemy, when I was dead in my sin, when I was addicted to the things I was addicted to, but most of all, when I just really didn't want to have anything to do with you, and I didn't want you in control, and I didn't want you to lead me, I didn't want you to love me, I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't really want to know what you wanted, I just wanted to do my thing. Thank you for loving me and sending people who are called by your name to come into my life and love me and show me your love. Thank you that you reveal to me your word and that I get to read it in my own language and know it and understand it. Thank you, Jesus, that over the last 16 years you've continued to show me more grace as I continue to make mistakes in my faith. You show me more what your word means by opening up my mind and opening up my spirit to see it and understand it. God, the, really, the more that I learn about you, the more I'm in awe of your grace, your mercy, your love for me. It's a wonderful thing. And I know that in this room, there's hundreds of years of testimony of what you've done in all of our lives. So thank you, God. Thank you we get to be here. And thank you for all my friends who are here, because that's not their story, and, um, but they're here. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for drawing them in. And I pray this would be a sweet time for every single person, no matter where they are with you. This would be a good time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, well, you know what? I, I kind of pray like that, not to teach you anything, but really genuinely because I just, I th I'm really thankful for, for Jesus and his love for me, uh, that in Charleston, South Carolina, it took a 15-year-old boy who was suicidal and addicted to pornography and drugs and his own idea and ego and, um, and just took me and rescued me, really, just showed me an immense amount of grace. And I can't really explain uh, how meaningful and impactful that moment is when I realize I don't want any more of this. I want this guy. I want this man named Jesus, and I want him in my life. And um, that day changed my life, and that day I became a Christian, right? And, 
And when I became a Christian, there was a lot of things I didn't understand. And part of that was like Jesus himself, really. I didn't understand anything. I thought the next day I wasn't going to sin anymore. And so I didn't. No, that's not true. No, I, like, I, I kept sinning. I, things kept happening. Things I was like, I don't understand this. I, I also thought, really, genuinely, I think like many of you, I really thought that when you became Christian, it's just rainbows and butterflies from here on out, that I was never going to be depressed again, that I was never going to be afraid again, I was never going to get discouraged again. And it turns out that was not true. In fact, that's not even what God's word says. I found out actually following Jesus, things got a, a lot harder in a different way. Anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody feel that and know what I'm talking about? I felt like when I started following Jesus, there was a lot of things that I signed up for that they weren't necessarily in the fine print, but I just was like not even paying attention or maybe just didn't know. I was ignorant to him. And it's that following Jesus is really, really difficult. And here's what most of you are thinking right now, and you're right. You're thinking it's really difficult because being moral is really hard. That's true, right? I, I think of Romans 7 when Paul says, like, there's things that I want to do and I don't do, and there's things that I, I don't want to do and I do them. And I find in myself that, this, that I, I, there's this war going on and I can't stop doing it. Anybody? That's Apostle Paul writing. So if you're in the room, listen, none of us think that you're perfect. So just let the shoulders down, let the hair down, okay? Not perfect. There's this war that goes on inside of us. And so a lot of you go, yeah, that's really hard. It's hard to fight these temptations. It's hard to be good. But what I also found to be hard more and more is that the more I really wanted to follow Jesus, the more that uh, other things were going to happen. There was going to be an enemy started to rise up in my life that wasn't just my morality. It wasn't just about being good. Is that something really wanted to take me out. Something really wanted to get me off course. Do you know what I'm talking about? In our Bible, it says that our true enemy is not flesh and blood, all right? It's not each other. It's not who our real enemy is. Our real enemy is the spiritual forces of evil behind the things that are our friends and people and situations and circumstances. I realize there's something, there's something that's fighting against me. And so the more I wanted to follow my faith, I found accusations and attacks and challenges and traps that were being set for me uh, more and more. And I realized that when you really want to follow Jesus, when you really want to do it, you get a target on your back. When you really want to do it, you're going to get a target on your back. So, anybody want to follow Jesus? It's really hard. You get a target. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get challenged. You're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to maybe even historically, and you don't see this yet, but maybe even lose your life. What's funny, though, is our Bible, Jesus constantly talks about that. If you really want to follow Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to lay down your life to follow him. And that feels really confusing. You're like, what do you mean? Do I got to die right now? It means there's a willingness there. But really what it's about is about what's not seen. Listen to what I said. It's not about what's seen. It's about what is unseen. Are you, and the real you is not what we're seeing on the outside of you. This is your best like, this is you doing your best to portray to all of us you're good, right? This what you got on right now, what you're doing here. This is like you doing your best. You're doing a great job. Y'all look great. But really what is, matters most is what is not seen. Because the bank account and the house and your shirt and your kids and your education and Summit Weekend and your ministry and all that can look really, really great. But on the inside, it cannot be great. And you could be a weak 
inconsistent, unfaithful, untrusting individual and have everything else look good. And this is the weird, hard thing about faith because it's not necessarily all about the morality and what can be seen. It's about what's on the inside. Now, why do I tell you all that? It's because today we're going to be looking at a guy who's going to get challenged, going to get attacked. He's going to be accused. They're going to be set plots for him. They're going to try to tear him apart. But through it all, he has something on the inside that's not seen, that plays out in what is seen. And there's, I want to steal from him this morning. I want all of us to steal from him this morning. And ultimately, it's a great picture of Jesus. Okay? Pumped? You want to go see this? Some of you are like, man, I wish there was another door on that side of the room. Not dead center in the middle. Isn't that awkward? Isn't that door weird? Whoever designed this building, they wanted every late person to feel really guilty. All right? That's how they designed this place. By the way, we didn't build this. If we, if we built a church, probably wouldn't. It's not a church. It's a building. Sorry. I know I'm about to get criticized. Because the church is a what? It's not a... Yeah, there we go. So and right now, some of you are going, but it feels like a cult. What's going on here? You know, let's go. All right, let's keep going. So Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to be looking at this. There's something for all of us to take from here, and it's really important. So let's go. Nehemiah 6. I'm going to read, and I'm just going to kind of stop and explain each time, and we're going to pull things out. So chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, if you've been with us this whole time, you realize this is like a trio of bad dudes. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors of the gates. Sambala and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. All right. So what happens? We've got three of these guys. If you've been with us, you know these guys are enemies. They're enemies of the people of God. And they're very much enemies of Nehemiah because Nehemiah has been leading this effort to not just rebuild walls around the city called Jerusalem, but to restore the people. And like I told you, this is a turn in the book. The first six chapters are all about the, restora- or the rebuilding of the walls, but they're doing that for a restoration of people. It's about people and their relationship with God. And so this is the turn. He's almost finished the walls. And these guys are upset with because they've tried to mess him up along the way. They've tried to oppose him. And so now they're inviting him out. And they're saying, hey, come outside of the walls. Come, come and meet with us, all right? And it's kind of like high school kids, middle school kids, it's kind of like when you get invited to that, to that place or that thing, and it's with people that you really want to be with, but you know what they're going to be doing is not really that great, but there's this battle and war inside of you because you want to go, right? But you probably, you're probably like, I don't know if I want to. I know what they're going to do, ah, right? You know that tension of war? Anybody remember that whatsoever? Getting invited to things? Or how about, how about this? When you wanted to be invited and you didn't get invited. Anybody remember that? Me. Okay, me and several other dorks on the front row. Okay, we, I remember wanting to be invited. And so these guys are all, these guys are all political leaders. These are all regional leaders that are coming together. And they're inviting the Jerusalem regional leader to come sit with them. So it's like, why wouldn't you go sit with these guys? Hey, come out and meet with us. Hey, come with us. Come sit with us. We want to talk. But he realizes they want to do him harm. So regardless of the temptation, high school students that you might feel, middle school students, adults getting invited into that business deal, whatever the thing may be, it, he had, a, he had a, a pause in his heart or something in his mind that told him, these guys are not really seeking my best. Maybe it's this, all the trash talking they've been doing for the first five chapters. I don't know. He realizes, I'm not so in love with having consensus with other leaders, with other UN leaders or whatever. 
business leaders, church leaders. I'm not so in love with having their, uh, their approval and opinion when I know that really they want to do me harm. Do you hear that? Pay attention. So this is what he does. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I uh, leave it and come down to you? Which is really great. I love about Nehemiah. The man's just got his mind focused. He, he's getting a call from these guys, but why would he go and answer that call when he's already got a call in his own life to do something for God? And I think all of us, what we're going to see through this whole thing is we're going to see that there's a lot of little things that are going to start touching into our own life. And one of the things is, you're going to get calls that are going to be pulling you away from what God has really called you to. Every one of you are going to get calls that are going to call you away from what God has really called you to. What has God really called us to do? God has really called us as Christians to be people who are building into the community things that really help to build individuals up into the image of God that they were designed to live in. That's why you see a lot of churches... Or church, the, the church has built more hospitals than any other movement in the world. The church has practiced uh, building more education centers than any other uh, entity in the world, in world history. The church is active in building hospitals and building, uh, and building all these types of things that are going to benefit societies, bringing food. There's not a more giving and generous thing in the whole world than the Christian church. Nothing. I, I really invite you to email me something you think is more generous. Uh, but you're not going to find something. The church does that. But why do they do that? Why do we build hospitals? Why do we build libraries? Why do we build schools? Why do we uh, send over so many supplies? Why do we give of our money? Why do we do all this building? We do it for the restoration of people. We want to see God's people thrive. And we also want to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell them about Jesus. All right, those of us who are Christians who have our head on straight and we, want, we know what the call really is. We're not trying to go build schools like, where's, where's Eric? Is Eric Monfell up here? Me and Eric uh, uh, went to Africa one time. We built a school, right? And uh, while we were there, we were building the school, whatever. The goal was not to go and build a school so we can go home and be like, we built a school. Pretty cool guy right here, right? And to you, that may look cool, like this shirt. It might be something that to you go, man, on the outside, that wasn't really meant to be a joke. I mean, it been like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need, a, I need an accent like a, a pitcher of like maple syrup or something like that. Um, the idea is like, guys, a lot of, a lot of people do, I, listen, I, I understand a lot of Christians, they, they, they're answering the call of Satan by the idea that like, I'm going to do a good thing, but I'm really doing it because I want you to think I'm a good guy. But that's not what Nehemiah is doing right here. He's not doing this to be a good guy. He's doing this because he really cares about what God has called him to do. You're going to see that more and more. You hear what I'm saying? Take that. I hope God is helping you see that. So he's going to keep going. But look what happens. The enemy is going to call, and it's going to call, and it's going to call, right? It's going to braid you and braid you. But come on. Come with us. Come out. Come out with us. Come jump in with us. We're going to make so much money. Get in with us. Hey, all the other churches are doing it. Come on, jump in with us. And so when it doesn't work, though, because Nehemiah is being a faithful guy going, man, I want to do what God's called me to do. I'm here for a specific purpose, and I want to see these people restored. I'm not coming out there with you. Look what they do next. They change their tactic, and here's what they do. Look at this. And they sent to me four times in this way, over and over and over and over. And I answered them in the same manner, in the sa uh, in this, but, listen to this, verse 5, in the same way 
Sambalot for a fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. All right, what does that mean? Really simply put, instead of them sending an email, they blasted it on Facebook. That's what that means. Do you understand? What that means is it's an open letter. So if you, if you got a letter and somebody already opened it, what do you know? Somebody else read the thing, right? But if it's closed and sealed, you know somebody wrote it. I'm going to read it. It's between me and them. It's not between those leaders and him anymore. They're going, we're going to let everybody know who you really are, an accusation. Christians, listen to me. This is a tactic that has been used time and time again for thousands of years, and they'll use against you. Hey, we've tried to reason with you, but now we're going to let everybody know this is who you are. And look what they say. These are the kind of accusations that get a man killed. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also, also says it, right? It's like, hey, look, everybody knows. Even Geshem's talking about it. Come on, Greg, everybody knows that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall, okay? Rebellion inside of the Babylonian Empire is a way to get, get murdered, and not only to get murdered or get killed, but to get everybody you know killed. You understand? It's not, this is not a felt board, Sunday school, cute little Bible study. You understand? These are real people, human beings. All right? You just happen to be born in a time where wearing shirts like this is okay. Okay. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. Look, we're going to tell the king. This is such like, like you know, playground bully stuff. Well, I'm going to tell the teacher. I'm going to go tell the king of Babylon what you're trying to do, Right? So now, look at this. Now you see what they're really doing. So now, come and let us take counsel together. Basically saying, you better come meet with us, or we're going to report all this stuff to the king, and he's going to end all this stuff. Now, what you need to know is if you read Ezra, which comes right before Nehemiah, they kind of go together. They actually were one book together. Uh, Ezra, uh, Tobiah, and these guys, they practiced this tactic with Ezra and Zerubbabel, and it worked. They wrote to the king. Say, so, hey, look, these guys are doing this thing, and they're trying to rebel against you. And the king shut it down, and for, uh, for about a decade, they were not able to continue the work, which is why Nehemiah finds out later, hey, they haven't rebuilt the walls. And Nehemiah's like, what? But guess who Nehemiah got permission from to go build the walls? Who was it? The king. The king is the one who gave him permission to do it. Who has called you to walk in the way of Jesus? Jesus, the king. All right, and so they're trying to accuse him. And I'm telling you what, people are going to try to accuse you. They're going to say, this is what you're trying to do. This is what you're trying to be. And you know what? They're going to twist your words because what's happening right here is there probably was prophets in the day saying, hey, a king is coming because that's why they're rebuilding the kingdom. They knew that God had made a promise to a man named David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one day he was going to put an eternal king on an eternal throne in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah has faith in God to believe that God can actually do it. And so what do they do? Well, let's make way for the king. Let's go rebuild the temple. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's get this thing set back up because he says he's coming here. He's not coming to this place full of rubble. He's going to come here to see a kingdom. And so let's get the kingdom ready and let's be faithful and let's be ready for the king to come and lead us. And so he's probably, they're probably preaching this and teaching this and showing this. And what's happening is they're taking it and they're twisting the words and going, no, I hear you want to be king. And you're telling all those prophets to say that stuff because they're wanting to say it about you. This is really about you, Nehemiah. 
And so they're trying to accuse him. Anybody ever been accused? Okay, every one of you should raise your hand, right? It's like, if you have a sibling, you have been accused. All right? And so here's what I want to tell you about accusations. Here, here's what's really important for us to understand about this. Uh, when we're being accused, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, and trust me, you, all, all, everyone in the room, you've been accused and it was right. There's things that were said about you that were right. There was even things said by your enemies, and there's two people that tell you the truth, right? Your greatest enemies and your greatest friends. They'll both tell you the truth. One will tell you in a way that's probably a little more acceptable. Another one might tell you in a way that's not so fun. But two will tell you the truth. So what do you do when accusations come your way, and whether they're right or whether they're wrong, what do you do? What you do is, what? What you do is you go, to, you go and you remind yourself of two things, who you are, right, and what you've been called to. Listen to me. You go and remind yourself of who you are and what you've been called to. And where do we go as Christians to learn those two things? So, so, yeah, what is it? The Word, the Bible. So for Nehemiah, he's not showing it in this text, but we, we've seen over and over that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He knows who he is and he knows what he's called to do. And we as Christians, when we're accused, whether they're right or whether they're wrong, we have to run back to our identity in Christ or else we're not going to move. Because a lot of you, what happens is, is you're going to get accused, you're going to get attacked. And it's not always through uh, other people. It's in your own head, in your own heart, and it's an attack of Satan on your life. In, Re in Revelation chapter t uh, 10, verse 12, it, it says, uh, or no, chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan, he's accusing the saints uh, day and night. All day long, Satan is living to accuse and a lot of you in this room, you're not being faithful with the Lord because you're listening to the accusations of an enemy rather than listening to the affirmations of a king. And so what happens is you go, well, I haven't been to church in a long time, therefore I'm not a good guy, therefore I, I don't deserve Jesus. I made a mistake, or I've done this, or I've done that, or I'm not good enough, and yada, yada, yada. And so you listen, and you listen to the accusations so much that you just, you don't trust God, you don't trust yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what I am, and you fall into this melancholy, ugly, uninspiring faith where you're not stepping forward. Because you just don't really know who God is and what Jesus really sought to accomplish and what he did accomplish. Do you hear what I'm saying? Anybody ever feel that? You drive into the parking lot and you're like, man, I don't deserve to be here. Deserve to be here? It's a parking lot. I don't deserve to come in here. I'm not good enough. What, what do you think What do you is going to happen? You're going to die if you come through those doors and you have sin on you? What do you think this is? And then also, what do you think we're talking about? We're talking about a benevolent, loving, gracious God who died for you to free you up from that constant barrage of accusations. What does the word say to us, guys? In Romans, if you believe in Jesus, says you're saved and you become his, right? I want to take you to a passage. It shows you identity and it shows you what your purpose is, okay? So if you, if you don't know what the Bible says, let me read you some Bible and give you a little bit of a head start. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, all right? It says this. If you put your faith in Jesus and you're in this room and you're feeling like, man, I'm just not good enough, woe is me, you know, if people really knew who I really was, they wouldn't really love me, and that feeling, and now, I, now I sound like I'm mocking you, but let me just show you why Satan's been mocking you the whole time, and there's really an answer to this. Here's what it is. But you are, if you're a believer, not if you're a church attender, let's be clear, but if you're a believer, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, 
that you, so here's why, here's why, here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have identity. This is who you are with God. And you have purpose so that you can go tell others of the greatness of God. Do you hear that, Christian? So if you came in here and go, I'm just not good enough, and I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not living right enough, and all these things like, hold on a second. Your identity is not in the sins you've committed. Your identity is in Jesus. What does Romans 8, 1 tell us? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the Greek, that word no, guys, does not mean mostly. It just means no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Between you and the Lord, you are free, and that's all that matters. We have friends who are in prison, and they're serving a sentence. You go, well, see, they're condemned. Yeah, in the world's eyes, they're condemned, but in Christ, they are completely free. And one day, those bars will open. One day, the gates of the kingdom will be open to them. That's what really, really matters. And we Christians, we get pulled off sides over and over because people go, well, people really knew this about you. And that's what Satan does. If they really knew this about you, Greg, they wouldn't really love you. But then I go to read my Bible, and it tells me that, man, well, God loves me. It tells me there's no condemnation. It says that I'm actually justified, which means not guilty. I am justified by, by God. And since I'm justified, therefore, I have peace with God. I've got peace. Not only that, they say, well, no, 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 don't talk about what you've done. Don't talk about what you've done wrong. Some of you in this room, you're living with the weight of sin in your heart, and you've told nobody about it. There's things that you're planning to take to the grave. But then I go to read my Bible, and I read in James chapter 5, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and you will be healed. And about three years ago, I had sin in my life that I was planning to take to the grave. I had been serving as a pastor. I had sin in my life that I committed when I was a teenager that I was planning to take to the grave. And I confessed it to my friends and found freedom. And now there's about eight or nine other people who've done the same exact thing that I've done. I've been able to speak into their life, love them, and help set them free. I'm walking in freedom. Satan, Satan's coming to me sometimes and goes, yeah, but if they knew this about you, right, they wouldn't love you. And I go, well, they do know it about me. And God knows it about me. And yet they love me. You see what I'm saying? This is a completely different mindset. And Nehemiah is living in a completely different mindset. So what does he respond with? Let's go back. What does he say? If you have an understanding of what your identity is with Jesus, if you understand who you are in God and what he has called you to, this is how you respond when the enemy attacks you and comes and goes, this is just who you are, Christians. You're a cult. You don't really love people. You are hypocrites. This is who you are. You say, no such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Christians, I think there's a lot of things that are not getting done because we keep letting our fear of these accusations, the fear of being accused, get in, get in the way. And I'm telling you, Jesus wants to give you freedom from that. He wants to give you freedom from that. Where we can go, yes, I have committed a sin, but I know in Christ something even greater, which is that I'm forgiven. And I can walk in newness of life. And the people who believe that and walk in that, they plant churches, they reach their neighbors, they care for the lost, they restore people. Those who don't, who still have this fear of the accusation of sin, they attend churches, they button up their shirts, and they give of their money, and they go and live meaningless dead lives and do nothing great. 
and it's a bummer. Let's go to verse 10, because it doesn't stop. You think accusations is bad. What do they do next? Verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah and the son of Delia, son of, I don't even know how to say that, Mehetabel. Yeah, that's about as good as I'm going to go. Who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of the Lord within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Come with me. Let's go hide in the temple. All right, let's pause for a second. What are they trying to do? We've got a guy here who's been confined to his house. We have no idea why he's being confined to his house, but he invites Nehemiah to come over to his house, come over to my house. He goes, listen, I heard that they're coming for you and they're going to take you. They're here to kill you, all right? To kill you. Most of you in this room have never had anybody come, invite you to their house, go, listen, I, I brought you over here because, listen, there's some guys across Cody, all right? They're over there and, and uh, you know, in Jubilee Trailer Park, and they want to come over and they're going to kill you. You better go and hide or else they're coming for you. Most of you have never had that happen. Am I right? Most of you? Yeah, okay. Don't raise your hand if you have, all right? If, if so, I know a couple cops that we could talk to, and let's figure this out, all right? But most of you have never had this happen, so they're inviting him in. This is real. They're coming to kill you. And so what are they trying to use right now? They're trying to use fear. And I tell you, nothing makes people more intoxicated and unsober-minded than fear. Fear is, is terrible. Fear is what leads the Nazis to be in power. Fear is when the, church, when the church is living in fear, the world's in big trouble. So he's trying to get Nehemiah scared, and look what Nehemiah does. I love Nehemiah for this. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away? Sounds so arrogant. And what a man such as I could go into the temple and live? Sounds so humble. The way he responds is this. Nehemiah knows the right thing to fear. You hear me? Christians, Nehemiah knows what is the right thing to fear. Let me give you an example. I've used this before. All right? Is there a difference between a mountain lion and a kitty cat and a little cat? Is there? We're chuckling because, yes, if you're in the woods and you're hunting an elk with your bow and you hear a meow, you're not going to probably jump up out of your boots and freak out, right? But if you, and I'm not even going to attempt whatever a mountain lion does, but <clears throat> like if you hear a mountain lion or a mountain lion is coming your way, have y'all seen the videos? It just makes my palms sweat seeing the videos. And the guys are on there and they're cussing and they're screaming because they're terrified, right? But if you saw a video of a man and there's a mountain lion coming down the trail at him and he's going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. And he's like, you see in the video, he's putting his hand out. All you think is... I'm about to watch this man's hand get bit off, right? That's not an appropriate attitude to have with a mountain lion. It's also not appropriate to walk into somebody's house, and when their little kitty cat comes to you, you wet your pants. It's not an appropriate response. Nehemiah has an appropriate fear that I think we Christians do not have. And I don't know how to fix this, guys. I really struggle with this myself. You are more afraid of men than you are of God. And so Proverbs 28, 1, so this is what you need to understand. Satan does this. It says that Satan, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking, those, seeking someone to devour. But he's a toothless lion. He can't do anything to you. If you have Christ, what can Satan do to you? What can anyone do to you? Romans 8 tells us nothing. He's a toothless lion, but sometimes he scares you Christians into disobedience. He scares you Christians into running away like the wicked. Proverbs 28, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. 
And Nehemiah is a lion. He says, who am I to run? I'm not going to run. And number two, this is the most beautiful. I love this. This is what you get to see when you finally get to see what's actually behind the scenes in Nehemiah's heart. The man has a fear and a respect for God. And he goes, and what kind of man like me can go into the temple? I don't run from men when they come after me to kill me, but I also don't waltz into the temple. Do you hear that? God terrifies me, and I have honor and respect and love for him. But you men, do what you want to do. It's all in the plans of God. Do you hear this? How often in your life are other people's opinions influencing your faithfulness? That's called a circumstantial faith. You're waiting for the weather to be just right to, get, to go outside and do what you got to do. And there's actually a proverb talking about the lazy man. You know what the lazy man does? The lazy man will go, oh, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. Because apparently in the days of Israel, there were lions everywhere, right? And, but what they were doing is saying, I cannot go outside to work because there's a lion in the streets, so I'm going to stay inside and I'm going to sleep. That's what that proverb is saying. And so many of you are not active in your faith because you keep screaming there's a lion in the streets. And we go, yes, Satan is out there, but you're the people of God. What are you scared of? What do other people think? And I'm yelling at you, but I'm yelling at myself because I struggle with this. Fear of uh, our people-pleasing is a, a terrible thing that we in the American church are struggling with. A worry about what is our boss going to say? What are our coworkers going to say if we start talking about our faith all of a sudden? Right? What's my spouse going to think if I suddenly catch on fire for Jesus and I love him and I want to follow him? Is she going to leave me? Right? Like, if I start living like this at school, that one teacher who's always mocking the faith, everybody's going to gang up on me in class and I'm not going to know what to say and defend myself, Greg. I don't want to do that. Hey, all three of these I've seen happen in Cody with my students, with my friends who are married, and with my, in my own life. What, do they th- what, do they, what, what people are saying matters too much to us rather than fearing what God has already said. And God has called us to courage. What is John, Joshua 1.9? Anybody got a tattooed on their arm somewhere? What's Joshua 1.9 say? I've, said this, I've done this before with you. Yeah, have I not commanded you? Who's I? God. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you think Satan's like puffing up his chest in front of God? No, he's not. The worst he can do is accuse and accuse and accuse and accuse. There was a man named, uh, so on October 6th, uh, 1550 or 1536, so this past Thursday, we celebrated William Tyndall. Anybody know William Tyndall? William Tyndall was a Bible translator in England. And William Tyndall, on October 6, 1536, was strangled and burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English for the common man. Hey, guys, what's, what language is the Bible in your lap in? It's in English. There was a man at one point, where, there was a point where it was illegal to do that, and the man was strangled and burned to death for translating the Bible. And you've been here thankful that we have the Bible in English? I love that two people totally raise their hands. I love it. I love that we have the Bible in English. And I have friends who work for uh, Tyndall Bible translators, and they work in the South Pacific, and they're there trying to translate the Bible into more languages. And there have been thousands of languages, but this man had to lay his life down. You know what the last thing he said was? He said this. He screamed out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Just to get the Bible in English. 
people who are willing to die for it. What are we willing to die for, guys? Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if you want to follow me, you better take up your cross daily and follow me. But you're, we and me, guys, I'm so afraid of what you might think or what some other pastor might think or what someone online might write or what my wife might think about my prayer or yada, 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 or what I'm going to have to give up. Anybody? I'm just telling you, that's not the way of a, of a follower of Jesus, but Nehemiah Nehemiah doesn't stand down. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away? I don't run. I have courage. And what man such as I should go into the temple and live, I will not go in. But I also have respect for God. It's what's behind the scenes in Nehemiah's heart that is motivating him to have courage. That's why Joshua 1.8 comes before Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9 is about courage. Joshua 1.8 is about studying the word of God day and night, not neglecting to do all of what it says then your way will be prosperous, right? Taking it in and then being strong. So he keeps going. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambala had hired him. Isn't that funny? They hired him to, to fake this. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So what, what he basically is saying is like, they were trying to get him to do this so that they could go to everyone else and go, hey, why are you all following this guy in Nehemiah? The bro is so scared of us. We're not trying to do anything to him. And he went and hid in the temple. That's not a faithful leader. That's not a faithful leader. And I'll tell you what, this country, this state, this town, it's full of people. Christians who call themselves leaders are not faithful to actually follow Jesus. And what happens is the world sees it and they taunt us for it. Hey, friends, do not Put yourself in a position where you're doubting God and you're running in fear because of what man says. Stand for God. This is what's going to happen when you do. But first, let me, there's something you got to hear in this, but let me help you understand something. It says, remember, he says this in verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. I love Nehemiah's prayer here, and I'm telling you this because, um, Nehemiah's prayer is not a prayer of blessing, and it's not a prayer of revenge. It's a prayer, prayer of entrusting. It's a prayer of entrusting. So hear what I'm saying. There's an enemy of your soul, and that enemy uses human beings a lot of times. But those people are not our enemies. And so what he does is he prays, God, remember them and remember what they're doing. But I'm going to keep doing the work. You hear that? So let me read this to you, Christians. Because at the end of the day, whatever, when people post up about us, when they say something about you, they're not your enemy. We don't get upset about it. We don't freak out. We don't try to seek revenge. Right? We don't act like it doesn't happen. But we have an appropriate response. It says that this is Jesus saying in Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from, the, uh, from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For if even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
But love your enemies and do good and lend and expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Nehemiah got it right, what Jesus is saying right here. And guys, we Christians, we don't retaliate. Because inside we have an inner strength that is not mad at the person. We're actually... We love that person and pray for them in spite of what they're trying to do to accuse us, trip us up, threaten our life, kill us for translating Bibles. We love them because we have an inner strength that is stronger than their hatred for the gospel. You hear that? It's what's behind the scenes that is more powerful than what is seen. But when they see that, their little fear tactics and their little games and their little Facebook posts and their, your little family accusations around the dinner table, you're just this, and you think you're better than me, and blah, blah, all that stuff, whether it's true or false, when they see that the inner strength in our lives is set on God, set on a solid foundation of God's word and Jesus, when they see that, check out, two things happen. Number one, we will do great things. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of law in, in 52 days. They finished an entire wall of the city in 52 days. You remember when they were replacing the concrete in front of Dairy Queen? What did that take? 52 months <laughs> to do that? It took forever. And we have machines. They rebuilt an entire wall. And I saw it. it's a 16-foot wall, wide wall. It's not some garden wall. It's not your fence. And they did it in 52 days. And look, so first of all, when you are steadfast and movable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, all right, your labor will not be in vain when you serve God. You may not see a trophy like a wall, but it's not in vain. And you're steadfast. And when they accuse you, you go, hey, it's not what you say. I'm going to continue to pursue Jesus. Hey, but if everyone knew this about you, go, hey, they already know that about me, and God knows it, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to keep pursuing making disciples. Hey, we're going to burn down your building if you keep doing this. Hey, that's great. We don't meet in buildings. The church is a people, not a place. Keep going. We're going to keep moving. Hey, we'll throw you in prison. Cool. I'm going to tell the guard about Jesus. Non-stop. Like, do what you want. I'm not stopping. When you do that, you will change people's worlds. But in the midst of doing that, there's going to be people who catch the eye, and this is what they're going to say. This is amazing. This is not written anywhere else in the Old Testament, what I'm about to read to you. It says this. Verse 16, and when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. Never in the Bible is that said. They felt greatly in their own esteem. Another way of putting this is they lost their nerve. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Hey, gentlemen, listen to me. I think every one of us men, we want to live for something that really matters. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Am I right? And, you know, I want to do something. And be, or I say this. I want to be a part of something that when people look at it go, yeah, that's, that's not just you, though. There's got to be something else going on here. Anybody else? Men. Do you? Do you want to be just known for what you do with your own hands, or do you want to be a part of something you go, man, clearly there is something going on with those people, because it, it can't just be that 32-year-old dingbat over there teaching them. There's got to be something else going on. I want to be a part of something like that. 
Because when you're a part of something like that, everyone around goes, hold on a second. We've accused you. We've tricked you. We've lied to you. We cheated you on taxes. We burned down your building. We threw you in jail, and we killed your kids. And you still want to talk about Jesus? You go, yes, I do. I translate the Bible. They, they tie me to a stake. They wrap it around my throat, and, and they pull it back. And they say, are you still committed to this? Yes, I am. And we're going to burn you at stake. God opened the king's eyes. Last words. Church, I want to wake you up to something that most of the church in the world already knows that you don't know, which is Jesus is worth building your life on, and your friends' opinions and the worldly standards are not. And if you continue to chase the worldly standards, yes, you may get a big house, but you will not do great things. And when we bury you, nobody's going to talk about how big your house was. We're going to talk about what a sad thing was that he was always looking for our approval and never felt like he had it. But I've been to some, I, I actually, yesterday I was sitting in Granny's, one of the best restaurants in America. <laughs> I was sitting in Granny's and I was working on this message and I was sitting there and I was talking and a guy came up to me, he's turning 90 this year, which is just amazing. And his wife, uh, I got to do her, um, her memorial service, but before she died, uh, she told me, this is days before she died, she said, Greg, all I want you to do is preach the gospel. Don't make it about me. Now, her kids and her husband, they all wanted me to just celebrate her. She told me, all I want you to do is tell them about my Savior, Jesus. And then days later, she died, and she met Jesus. And so I got up there, and what do you think I did? I told everybody about Jesus. That woman's last dying wish was that all of her family would hear the gospel. That's what it means to really live. And that woman was awesome. She was awesome. I'll tell you about somebody else who's awesome, people who really get it, all right? There's this, this couple, all right? They're Indian, Pastor Arjun and his wife, Radha. I want to read you a little bit about Pastor Arjun and Radha. This is, this is what Christians really think like. This is what we think like. So whatever you're thinking, just know, if it's not like this, you're not thinking like a Christ follower, this is what he says. Okay, so when Pastor Ajun, a Christian convert from Hinduism, proposed to his wife, Radha, he made sure she knew what to expect, right? Hey, I smack my, you know, my mouth a lot when I eat my cereal. I fart in public. Things like that? No. He said, I am a minister, and I have been attacked many times, he told her. In the future, you may be attacked, for associating with me. I may go to jail. Sometimes we will have food. Sometimes we will not. This will be the life. Radha accepted his proposal without flinching. Live or die, she said. I will live for Christ. She didn't say, live or die, I will support you. She said, live or die, I will live for Christ. Basically letting him know, hey, I'm glad you're committed to that, but you need to know I'm committed to that. Since then, they have been forced to move three times. Arjun has been beaten numerous times and accused of forced conversions, while Radha has been personally threatened and watched Hindu radicals invade their church. When Radha's parents began arranging a marriage for her when she was in the 12th grade, she made it clear that she wanted to marry a pastor. I will not marry any other, she told them. There's a cultural thing around that. Otherwise, I will not get married. Radha wanted to be actively involved in ministry, and she knew marrying a pastor would be the best way to do that. I had that burden, she said. 
Because Arjun had been attacked so many times, Radha's parents were initially hesitant to approve the marriage. But despite their concerns about how he would provide for her, they eventually gave their consent. Can you imagine men with your daughters? What are we usually asking? Is he educated? Does he make money? Where does he live? What's going on? Like, they're going, you keep getting beat for your faith. I'm not sure if I want to give my daughter to, to that environment. After getting married, Arjun and Radha set a goal of sharing the gospel in 34 villages, and they also planted four new churches. But their work was not welcomed by local Hindus. One day, a group of intoxicated Hindu radicals descended on one of the churches, beating the pastor and even some of the women, which is an extreme offense in Indian culture. They beat him for, for an hour. Listen. They beat him for an hour, and it took an hour because all the other people were trying to fight to get him off, and they pinned everyone else against the walls. And in a church building, right, they just beat the man. And the only thing that stopped it is when the cops finally showed up. And when they got everybody off, they took him to a hospital. When his apartment owner found out that he was beaten for that, he kicked them out of the apartment because he didn't want that around his apartment. Knowing that persecution can be a normal part of the Christian life, Arjun now prepares church members to face it themselves. He uses examples from the Bible, such as the stories of how Daniel and the apostles of Jesus were persecuted. Many church members have been encouraged, he said. Now they don't have to fear, have the fear of persecution. They know it is true and that they have to face it. This is the Christian life. Here, whatever happens here on earth, whatever happens is for a few minutes or days, Arjun said, but eternal life is what we need. Doing something like this for God is something that we will be involved in. Now, here's what I want to say, guys. I'm not reading that to you to make you feel guilty because, you know, somebody insulted you and it threw you off course. I'm reading that to you to inspire all of us to realize there is a strength that God gives to us and a courage that God gives to us that is more than just attending church services. This is a hideous hobby, if this is your hobby. But it is a powerful movement when Jesus is your God. And you become different. So young men, be the kind of men that you're living for Jesus. You're not living for college. You go to college, you're living for Jesus. We go, I live for Christ. No matter what I do, he is mine. And if I will lose my job, if I will lose that girl, if I will lose that friendship, if I lose the approval of my parents, if I will uh, lose everything for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, I've gained everything because I've got Jesus. Guys, we've got to stop talking about it on stages and pulpits and churches and then walking out and going, well, that was really cute. Let's go to Granny's because that's all you heard me say was Granny's is a good restaurant. It's, it's really, it's a, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And I don't know what's going to wake it up. And I think what's going to probably wake it up is the day that I get beat or one of you get beat. Or they really do start taking our houses and burning our homes. And suddenly you really do have to make a decision. But guys, you don't have to wait till then. You can make the decision right now. Right now, we're so afraid. Of, we're afraid of baristas behind counters. Oh, what is she going to think of me if I share with Jesus? I don't know. You're a 45-year-old man. She's 16. Who cares what she thinks? Just tell her about Jesus. Anybody? Okay. Here's what I want to do. They, they, when you do this, they're going to gossip about you. They're going to tell everybody, this is who you are. This is what you think. And look, I, I'm living in it. I'm living in it. You, you live courageous like this. They're going to start gossiping about you. Ah, they're really just this. And if you really knew, like, 
<laughs> I've talked to some people, you know, he just wants to, he just wants to be king. That's all he wants to do. And, and they're going to gossip about you. But when you really, I, I'm not even going to go into that part. When you really are solid with Christ, gossip doesn't matter. Accusations don't matter. All that, because all that matters to you is the truth of what God's word says, which means, guys, you're going to have to read it. But there's something I want to talk to you guys about uh, to kind of end this off, okay? And it's the idea of trophies. And we went into Nehemiah, uh, and we wanted to do Nehemiah again because we were moving into this building. And what could happen is, and it's already happened, is that when you go into buildings or you get a building, people kind of see it as a trophy. Buildings are kind of like trophies. Wow, man, how's the building? You know? And anybody in here want a trophy? I want a trophy. What do you do? You put it on a shelf. It's kind of cute. You dust it occasionally. But it's third grade soccer. Who gives a care? Right? It's a trophy. And so these buildings, it's like, yeah, it's a building. It's great. We meet it. And so people ask me all the time, man, it's got to be so awesome to be a building. I'm like, yeah, kind of. But I mean, it was great when we were at the rec center. Sometimes I miss the rec center. And so I want to use Matt McFadden as an example. I'm stepping down because I don't want to, like, keep you on. But Matt McFadden, he's the head football coach here uh, in Cody. Great coach. Anybody agree? Anybody like that? My, Matt McFadden is the coach? Yeah, they, yeah, if you're from Powell, you don't like him. I get it. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, <clears throat> that makes sense, right? It should. And, and here's what I'm going to tell you. Matt McFadden has been very successful. If, you t- if I say that in front of Matt, he's going to say, I'm not successful. It's me and my team that have been successful. We've done this together. Nehemiah would say the exact same thing. He, he would say the exact same thing. It's not me who's doing all this. Though he says that in there. He's like, it's all the people working together, right? And we've got some other coaches in the room who are on Matt's team. But one of the things I love about Matt, and I know about Matt, is Matt is not about the win above all else, and he's not about a trophy above all else. He's not about that. Yet, that Cody Bronk football team is winning more games than, as far as I know, no offense to everyone he's played for, than any other Cody Bronk football program ever. Am I right? I don't know. I've only been here eight years. Uh, but they're undefeated last season. Could they go undefeated this season? They're winning a lot, and he's not focused on the win. You know what Matt's focused on? He's focused on making winners. And so those men who coach that team, they're constantly talking about what it looks like to be a man. And you guys may not know this, but Matt's a Christian. He loves Jesus. Several of those coaches are Christians, and they love Jesus. And the Bronx, they came up with basically core values, and they use the word Bronx, right? It's like a lot of churches, they take Jesus and, you know, we want to be just and, you know, unusual. I don't know. Um, oh, that's not how you spell Jesus, J-E-S-U. This is one of those moments where I'm like, do I even finish or I just like pray and like walk out? Um, but this is what they did. I want you to hear this. This is pretty amazing. This is really amazing. This is their core values. B, brotherhood. They want to be about Brotherhood. Which, that's a simple, everybody knows what that means. They want to stand for each other. It's about the team. It's not about the individual. It's about the brotherhood. It's about working together for a win. That's what real men do. So they're calling them to it. It's about being relentless, right? Which is what Nehemiah just talked about. Being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, my labor is not in vain and relentless. Ownership, right? This is not Matt's team. This is my team. This is not the quarterback's team. This is my team. I own this. This is where I belong. This is my team. I own it. All right? And so I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do a job. This is my job. I'm in. Next play, which is you make a mistake, what do you guys say? Say what? Flush it. Right? Flush it. Move on. Go on to the next. Next play. 
okay? Competitive excellence. We're going to compete, but we're going to do it well. We're going to compete with excellence. I don't know how they say it, but I read that and I go, just we want to be excellent in everything we do. We don't want to just compete. We want to do it well, all right? And the last thing is servant leadership. Servant leadership. Great leaders serve. We've seen in Nehemiah, great leaders serve. Every single one of those core values is not Matt's values. Those are biblical values. Do you understand? So when a football coach wants to make winners, he has to steal from the Bible. And I tell you what, when I'm watching over there, these guys care about the boys. I've seen it. They care about the boys. They speak value to the boys. I, got, I know a couple coaches, when they do these man-up talks to the boys, literally is quoting scripture the whole time, just not saying it's coming from the Bible. They're, they are trying to show these boys what it looks like, basically, to be Jesus on a football team. And I want to ask you guys, what would it look like? And I tell you, I'm proud of those boys because you see it all over them. And every one of you dads are like, I love it. They make them work hard. They get up at 6 a.m. They're, they're getting after. They're facing their fears. There's a brotherhood. There's ownership. They're just that flush that play. But then when you come to the church, and it's like complete opposite. It's about the individual. Oh, that's too hot in the room, right? Okay. Relentless. I don't know. This is too much. I got other things I'm worried about and I got to do. Next play, but I can't get over the fact that I messed up. I'm just a big failure, right? And then competitive excellence. We don't do anything with excellence. We're not competitive against Satan. What would happen, guys? What would happen if we, became, we took the football out and we put in faith? And it was a Christian jersey. And a group of men and women had these core values. Because I will tell you, Matt's going to put a trophy away. These boys are going to put trophies away. This building is going to fade away like it did for the last church. It's going to fade away. But at the end of the day, it's about what's happening on the inside of you. Do you live with faith in Jesus? Nobody gives a rip about the 2020 football team, the 2021 football team. And when this is all said and done, guys, fight and do a good job. But you're going to be 25 and no one's going to care. But I tell you what. I know because of the way that I'm living my life that there's going to come a day where I'm sitting in heaven and there's going to be somebody a thousand years from now goes, hey, I care about what you did. And that will be the reward, all the reward I need in heaven. Do you hear what I'm saying, family? But the only way that you have that hidden behind the scenes faith that is resilient, that's about brotherhood, it's about ownership, that can move past your mistakes because you know that you, there's no condemnation for you, those who are in Christ Jesus. The only way you do that is you hold on to the word of God and you read it, you study it, and you make it your own and you trust God. You stop looking to the opinions of other people. You start living in the approval of Jesus. You be courageous. You be steadfast. You be immovable. And when you do that and you do it with love, you guys will change this city. And I'm pleading with you, I'm not going to change the city. We, through the power of God, will change the city. And people will look at us. If we decide to do this, we may not. But if we decide to do this, people are going to go, yeah, but that's not just them. There's got to be something bigger behind all that. Right? I'm not trying to build a church. I'm trying to build up Christians. That's what we're here to do. You decide if that's your job as well. Let's pray. Lord, I, I know I don't know this. I don't know this well enough. I'm, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. But Jesus, uh, I thank you for your graciousness. I'm constantly flushing plays, uh, flushing mistakes, moving on. But God, I, I am so thankful you brought me into the brotherhood. I'm not, I'm not an exile. I'm not an alien. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. 
And I just pray that for me and for my brothers in this room that we would be bold and courageous, standing firm. I pray that we wouldn't run with the wicked, but Lord, that we would be like lions, standing with the Lion of Judah, Jesus. I pray for us in this room, if we've got sin in this room, that Lord, you would help us to be courageous enough to deal with it and face it, knowing that you're not looking to rip us off, you're looking to set us free. I pray if there's people in this room and the, the opinions of their family are, the, are pulling them off or they're, they're afraid of what their job might, their boss might think about them or the coworkers might think about them. They're afraid about whether they're going to lose their job if they live for Jesus. I pray, Jesus, you would encourage all of us. You awaken our hearts to how good you are, that we would be bold, that we'd be courageous, that we would love, that we would be men and women who are willing to go to a stake and be strangled and burned alive just so that people can read the words of the Bible. Help us to be that people. I pray, Spirit, you do it. Without you, we cannot. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I want you guys to stand. Let's sing to this God.